Welcome to China Tech Talk, the weekly discussion of technology and startups here in China. I am John Artman, Editor-in-Chief of TechNote, and as always, I'm joined by Matthew Brennan, founder of China Channel. And so as the year comes to an end, Matt and I thought we would take a look back at uh, the year of 2017 and um, just discuss some of the highlights, discuss some of the things that, that we found to be uh, most interesting. And so we've got we've got our top five. Uh, we've also got some honorable mentions that we'll discuss uh, briefly towards the end. And if you are on um, if you are on you know any modern uh, podcast player uh, that supports chapters, you should be able to very very clearly see each single topic uh, mark, marked out. So that way you can uh, jump to whichever topic um, you would like to to hear about. So um, just, just very, very quick so that, that you guys can um, know what we're going to be talking about. So, so number one, sharing economy. Number two, globalization. So Chinese companies going abroad. Number three is uh, crypto. Um, so ICOs, uh, Bitcoin, and things like that in China. Number four is live streaming and video. And uh, number five is Tencent's Entertainment Empire. And so if you want to skip ahead, feel free to do so. So at uh, number one, sharing economy. So for Matt, for you, what was the highlight? I think this is candidate for the big one, right? The big trend of late 2016 and early 2017, but it's still playing out now, right? It's still still going strong, and that's the bike sharing. And uh, yeah, it was it was so crazy, right? Back in February and March, um, suddenly the streets of China were filled with these bikes, and everyone kind of freaked out. And um, we've never really seen anything like it. I think it's comparable to the Uber DD war um, previously, but this one I think was more visible and more interesting in, in many different ways, and, and, and totally unexpected. Right? I don't think anyone really saw this coming. Even the companies themselves would never think that this uh, phenomenon would get so big. Because you know, we're looking looking in terms of in terms of trends. I mean, this was this along with mobile payments is you know one of the bigger trends to come out of China. And so mm. previously, you know, I think I think ride hailing is a is a very good example because before DD and Quiety really got started, we already knew about Uber, we already knew about Lyft. Those were gaining traction right. uh, in the states already. And then, of course, I mean, it's just yeah, of course, you know, they're gonna, in China, they're going to try to do something like that. Of course, there's going to be a company that tries to uh, aggregate uh, taxi hailing or aggregate, you know. Um, a private car hailing or something like that but with but with bike sharing it, it was it was different because it's this typical chinese kind of thing you know you you mean i think that so yeah so the classic trope that's been used um when when talking about um bike rentals in china has been that you know china is returning back to its its bike uh pass and i think that 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 actually while while cliched now because it's been it's been overused um it is quite true i mean you look at you look at photos back from like you know the the 80s the 70s and 80s in in beijing at least i mean it's just it's all bikes uh very 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 few cars uh, and so, and so, I think that that's that's certainly part of it. That it has a very strong kind of cultural hook 
already. Um, also, bikes are more affordable than cars. Bikes are even more affordable than 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 ride hailing. Um, and as you say, Matt, I think that they're they're they were much more visible. Um, I mean, there's there's always there's always been cars on the road, um, but suddenly, you know, bam, there's this there's this huge number of of bikes suddenly clogging up the streets. Yeah, and with Didi and Uber, it's. Yes, they did burn a lot of money, um, but they didn't need to. Uh, if there was a, a situation like now where it's more sort of a monopoly, then there's not really much burning to go on. Uh, it's uh, it's a very different business model. Whereas you know, making physical bikes, making tens of millions of these bikes um, is something that is surprising. It, it just brings into focus, I think, of how much money these guys actually spend. Um, and... Uh, for ride sharing, I think they were spend also spending incredible amounts of money, but it's not so visible. It's more so coupons and discount codes, which are sort of virtual. Uh, whereas what the money was being spent on here, a lot of it was very physical and real, uh, and, and you could see it and touch it and be like, "Oh my god!" Like how much are these guys spending to produce all these bikes across this entire across the, the entire um, of, of, of of China is it's, it's just brings brings home exactly the scale of of how these internet companies operate. Yeah, I think that's that's a really really good point um, because for me there's there's parallel um, with what we saw with uh, bike rentals or, or bike sharing with uh, Tuango that happened back in, in 2013 2014 um, and at that time there was this huge explosion. Um, of there are lots of different small companies, all these apps, the big players are getting involved, um, and there was just all this activity. And of course, you know, there's scams, people stealing money, um, people selling fake discounts, you know, that they had no right to to promise, and so on and so on. And that was that was virtual, you know, that was that was all just happening on on a smartphone on a computer and, and in people's minds whereas with uh with bike rentals it's it's been all all on the streets and i have to say that um that it, it, it on the one hand i do think that that bike rentals have solved a real pain point um and there is data suggesting that um, that bike rentals have reduced congestion um, on some major roads, especially uh, during during rush hour and especially around um, subway stations. Um, so I think that there, there's there's a lot to be said for for the benefits. Um, the, the the negatives, of course, you know, there's always there's always trade offs. Uh, the negatives for me as someone who rides a um, an electric bike and has been riding an electric bike, you know, since uh, for six or seven years now, um, the bike, the bike rentals have become quite annoying because on the one hand, you have a lot more bikes in the bike lane. You have a lot more people who don't usually ride bikes, riding bikes in the bike lane, which can actually be slightly dangerous. Um, and then, you know, where I used to park my bike, there was, you know, open space. There was so much space where I could park my, I could park my bike pretty much whatever I wanted. Now there's much less space and security guards, uh, property management people, they're much more vigilant about, uh, about where people are parking, parking their bikes. Um, so I think that on the one hand, 
there, I mean, again, there have been some real benefits. There's also some some real negatives. Um, even even um, recently, you know, we published uh, a few pieces about some of the environmental impacts of of the bike shares. And uh, just 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 today, as as of this recording, we published a piece um, looking at uh, the cost of of picking up all these um, abandoned bikes you know i'm sure matt you've seen these pictures of either uh municipal authorities or or just people just dumping bikes uh, outside of a city and apparently one of the reasons that um that a lot of that these bike rental companies have not done anything with these bike graveyards is because it just ends up being um too expensive and, and it would take it would take too long mm-hmm. um and so it's it's really interesting to see that that I mean again it's trade off right there's there have been some positive impacts but the number of unused bikes that I see on a daily basis um, and and some of the 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 bike congestion that is caused is is certainly um, a negative aspect of all this and it's not just bikes so we're talking about sharing economy we have to mention power banks and that was probably number two less sexy less interesting uh, certainly. Uh, and there's no huge graveyards full of power banks for us to take photos of. <laughs> right. um, that would be very dangerous, actually. <laughs> that probably would be, yeah. Um, so less glamorous, but uh, an important trend uh, for this year. And again, the same sort of questions about the business model are arising. These services are really cheap, and they've spent a lot of money on spend, on buying a lot of power banks. And... Um, this, this links into the mobile payments trend as well in the same way. Uh, and then we've got the little ones like the even the umbrella sharing. That was quite funny, but didn't I only saw a couple of pictures on that. I don't think it ever really took off, did it? Umbrella sharing? No, it never, it never no. did. Um, and you know what else didn't really take off was the sex doll sharing. Right. I think that was that was that was operational <laughs> for about a day. Yeah, that one. <laughs> that was a funny one. Yeah, um, and there was basketball sharing. Basketball. There was what else was there? Uh, There's a couple of silly ones. Um, anyway, it, it, nothing like the bikes. Uh, the power banks is number two, I think, and, and that was well. Even 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 then, uh, the power banks. I thought I think was a bunch of was a bunch of uh, uh, BS. Anyway, um, I think the only the only real um, the only real business model. Uh, to come out of uh, the sharing economy uh, was the bikes. Uh, the power banks, the power banks is kind of, um, but we saw a lot of money go into them. And then just recently, a bunch of them, uh, a bunch of them closed. I think there's only one, if I remember correctly, that's that's still operational. Um, and we can see that 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 with uh, with bike shares as well. That you know, um, Blue Gogo recently had their their whole thing. Right. Um, you know, they they had a lot of people look asking for money, um, and and they were not able to, to to make a lot of refunds. The CEO is nowhere to be found, and they recently filed for bankruptcy. Uh, cool Chi is in a very similar position. Those are the ones, if you if you remember, that had the um, the the partnership with Hiar. So Hiar is a um, and appliances and and, and, and uh, HVAC uh, manufacturer, um, and they they had those those gold bikes that 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 came out earlier this year over the summer. Um, that was in a very similar position, couldn't make refunds, had people lined up outside their offices in Tongzhou trying to get their money back. Um, Hello Bike was um, was acquired by Yoan, um, which is actually kind of funny because Yoan is actually a um, a government owned bike 
rental company, and they they actually went IPO early this year. And so we can see that this this whole space is 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 uh, heated up and um, and matured. I would say very very quickly. And and it seems, Matt. I mean, like you, yeah. So just just recently, you shared a really interesting article on Tyson looking at uh, the finances of of the the two big ones, Ofo and Mobike. Yeah, that was that's a really good article. Let's put that in the notes as well. I was quite surprised that they printed that because um, they quoted an, uh, an unnamed source um, who had knowledge, I think, of the financials, knowledge of the um, of the um, investors and uh, what was going on behind the scenes, what is going on behind the scenes, and uh, from from that article. Um, it seems that there's definitely talks of mergers behind the scenes and actually they've been going on for a couple of months and they've been uh, sidetracked now because of a couple of reasons. One, uh, they're concerned about Didi having too much control of the, um, of the merged company. Uh, secondly, Alibaba and Tencent are fighting, uh, unsurprisingly. Uh, and... Um, Thirdly, I think also there's concern about the amount of cash reserves that OFO has. So they seem to be pretty low. And um, it seems that Ali's had to prop them up recently with uh, an injection of cash, which has uh, um, kind of skewed the uh, the negotiations and, and put them on hold for a while. Whether it's true or not, we we don't really know. But um, Sightseeing is a pretty reliable source. So um, Yeah, I would say so. I would say, uh, and they haven't. It's an unnamed source. I would, I would say, it's more likely than not that this is actually true. And yeah, uh, I, I, yeah. I, 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 tend, I tend to agree. Um, and in my sense, um, is is that looking at looking at Ofo is Ofo in particular is um, in a bit of a difficult position right now. Um, you know, you look at you look at the beginnings of of the company, and the company was created by college students who were trying to you know make make the world a better place, make life for people on college campus uh, better. So, you know, they can they can rent out their rent out their unused bikes, make some money, um, and at the same time, you know, other people who don't have a bike or or they don't have it at hand can use it very very easily. Um, and I and I, I really do have to wonder if they kind of knew what they were getting into um, when it comes to um, you know all the money that they accepted. I think it really kind of feels like you know they're almost like like a Facebook uh, idealistic. I mean, an idealistic version of Facebook. So um, you know, college kids who who um, you know just didn't quite may, perhaps are a bit over their heads in over their heads. Um, and, and from what I understand, you know, the executive team is a bit embattled right now with with their investors um, because their investors are asking them. They're saying, hey, you know, you got to you got to cut costs. Um, but, you know, how do you cut costs or how do you increase profitability um, when you're spending so much money on as you as we mentioned before, actually manufacturing these bikes? And then the cost of, of operation for these bikes and for the for the user is very very low. Um, what it, I think um, Mobike is one RMB per hour, and that's the, the lowest the lowest unit is like one RMB per hour. And then I then for Ofo it's uh, it's half a RMB per hour. Um, and even even if you look at the number of people using all these bikes, the numbers don't add up in terms of in terms of profitability. Yeah, right now they don't. Yeah, um, which is why they're saying it, there has to be a merger, and that's the only way out. Is is 
the sort of conclusion of the of, of the article um which yeah i mean i'm increasingly thinking that is the case now uh before at the beginning of the year i wasn't uh but it's uh, it's played out that way it seems so um yeah i, I think a, a first prediction for 2018 we are <laughs> we're quite likely to see a merger um i think given given how things look now in december uh, 2017 uh, it's an easy prediction there i think um shoot. Yeah, so, let's have a look at the next trend, John. Yeah, let's look at so 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 part of it's actually kind of funny because I think this this uh, this segues in. Sorry, one second. So actually, I think this um, this segues in really really nicely into uh, number two, which is which is globalization because both companies have been uh, very serious about their their globalization push, uh, making you know I'll, I'll try to make as many headlines as possible uh, about about um, their their expansion. You know, with with Ofo even going so far as uh, getting Rihanna on board for for their UK push, uh, and just mm-hmm. recently, uh, <clears throat> Mobike announced uh, funding um, in cooperation with Line uh, for their Japanese expansion. And so, what Mobike has done is they've um, created a, a a joint. Well, not they've created a subsidiary, a Japanese based comp, a Japan a Japan based company. Um, that just got investment from from Line, um, and so they're they're fairly serious about their global expansion. But I think you know, again, looking at uh, the companies themselves, uh, how profitable is it actually going to be, and and really kind of where the, where the ROI is is a bit uh, questionable. Um, but of course, there's the, the globalization is is a much much bigger bigger topic. I mean, you know, we're talking also about uh, WeChat Pay and AliPay going abroad, um, setting up more um, places where where Chinese users can uh, pay using using these methods. Um, Xiaomi has had a buster year um, in in India. Um, they look like they're they're doing they're getting becoming much much stronger in Southeast Asia. Um, and then, of course, there's all of the other uh, big players moving into Southeast Asia as well. Yep. Yeah, it's an increasing trend. So we're going to definitely see more of this in 2018. Um, the internet in China is maturing um, in terms of the, the the big battles have been fought and won. And it's increasingly a fight between Tencent and Alibaba. Um, there are obviously a lot of players in the mix, not just them, um, but they they seem to have their empires set up now. Um, not to say that there's not going to be anything interesting happening next year. I'm sure there'll be tons um, and, and lots that we can't predict today. Um, but it's certainly a trend that they're all they're all looking um, at the international market outside China as um, as something that uh, in many ways is easier. Than in China now, um, that the low-hanging fruits all all gone, and uh, it's it's a little it's actually easier to expand outside. I mean, we've had companies from China that have done pretty well internationally for uh, for quite some time, right? So Cheetah Mobile is a good example. They've done really well. Huawei. Um, yeah, Huawei. Um, yeah, they, they've done it exceptionally well uh, in areas like uh, drones as well. I think China's got some pretty strong companies there um, that have internationalized really, really well. Um, but certainly there was, there was a few more. And I think you've mentioned uh, many of them already. So let's t- just go a little bit deeper into some of those. So 
Um, if we look at like uh, Alipay, WeChat, so that's that's a pretty important trend because those are the two big guys. And uh, so, yeah, we've seen a, just a flurry of, of announcements uh, in the past few months, especially about um, Alipay and WeChat Pay opening up across all different types of markets in Europe. And this is in Europe and the States as well. So usually we haven't seen too much action from those guys in the more mature markets, in the Western markets. But uh, for, for these payment um, services, is uh, we, we're seeing that now, so so that that's a pretty good uh, indicator um, that there'll, there'll be more of this in those, more more of this in, in those more developed markets later on. Because I think even for our listeners, right, if, especially if you're in the states, um, you might these these company what we're talking about here that's happening in China doesn't really touch your life that much, um, <laughs> but you might start to see Alipay signs pop up. In, or WeChat Pay signs pop up wherever there's Chinese tourists now, even in the States. And so I think that's one of the first sort of like, oh, oh, wow, this is uh, this is here now uh, type moments. Yeah, I was I was uh, I was just in Italy. And um, and one of the things that I'm just, you know, it, it, it's 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 always a bit painful for me to to leave China now, even even going to Hong Kong, as I did a few months ago, because the, the ecosystem here in, in China, I mean, powered by mobile payments. Um, is just so amazing and so convenient um, that you know going going I'm going to the states tomorrow I just went to Italy and and it's just it's just very very painful and I think that it's it's actually really interesting because um, I was talking to some startups in in Italy about China market entry and I was talking with one who's trying to do some type of um, cultural, QR code based uh, AR VR experience in association with some um, some cultural institutions in Italy, and I was like, you know, you guys, I mean, this is the perfect vector for China market entry is actually getting tourists in Italy, you know, and so instead of trying to like you know banging your head against a wall trying to talk to you know Chinese museums and things like that, which I think would be very difficult, just you know, you 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 provide a special experience yeah. for Chinese users there, and then they take it back with them. Um, and so I think that you know it's really kind of interesting seeing how, on the one hand, you know these companies are going global, and for Alipay and WeChat in and uh, WeChat Pay, a lot of their global expansion now has just been kind of riding on the backs of of, of Chinese consumers. Um, but then also, you know, using that yourself, if you if you run a business in China, if you uh, if you run a business in the United States, if you run a business in Europe or anywhere anywhere around the world, using Chinese tourists as your vector in, into the China market, I think is a huge huge opportunity. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And let's not forget that um, Alipay and WeChat are also now opening up in properly um, in Malaysia. So that's that's a that's a big stepping stone. Right, that's a that's a major market outside of China, uh, where it's not just Chinese tourists. You know, they're opening up the full version of their wallet features, and uh, I'm sure they'll be in 2018. They're going to pour a lot of resources into making that a success yeah. in that market. Yeah, I think I think for um, for China, Southeast Asia, 2018 is is all about South. It's going to be all about Southeast Asia. Um, we've seen it. Sure. We've seen it kind of begin. I think towards towards the the end of this year. Um, but I keep hearing people say, you know, that Southeast Asia is China five years to go. 
Um, and China five years ago was still very much uh, a blue ocean, um, where, as you were saying before, now things have really kind of settled down. Uh, the low-hanging fruit has already been eaten. Well, the low-hanging fruit, I mean, that's what's always kind of interesting because, like, you looked at the the copy to China uh, model of a lot of internet companies, and they were taking the low-hanging fruit that worked in other markets and adapting it to um, to to China. And, and now it looks like what they're going to be doing is kind of they're doing copy from China to Southeast Asia, um, using a lot of their products and a lot of their business models that have proven successful in China and opening them up in, in places where nothing like it exists. Yeah, I'd agree with that broadly. I mean, I've been to, been to quite a few countries in, in Southeast Asia this year. Um, and yeah, it does feel a bit like um, China before in some ways, in, in many of the places. Um, and yeah, when you go to all the airports there, like they have Alipay, WeChat Pay, have a have a, a decent presence in, in, in many of them. Um, yeah, and, and I think if people want to know more about this trend, the conversation we had with uh, Bernard uh, on the podcast was was a was a pretty good for for this particular topic. Uh, he's actually you know he's based in Singapore and is quite familiar with all the investments going on in the region. So uh, perhaps we should uh, re- reference back to that one if we want to uh, cover that trend a bit more. But yeah, for sure, we're going to be seeing um, seeing a lot more investments in that area. Um, Alibaba's e-commerce empire is is uh, is they're lining things up quite nicely, I think, across Southeast Asia in terms of logistics. Um, and, and you know, Tencent's making a, a whole ton of investments. Like we say, in India, they've 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 pretty much invest in a lot of key players. And as you mentioned before, Xiaomi's really killing it in India, right? They're, they're really killing it. I think they're number one now. Yeah. Um, and again, we had an interview with them on the podcast at TechCrunch. I think that was a couple of episodes ago. Um, so you can go back and listen to that one if you want to find out more about Xiaomi. But uh, they're like, uh, I think they're number one now. I think they've, t- they've taken Samsung. And that's happened really just in the last like four or five quarters. And then, so, so it's been an incredible, incredible journey. So they're, they're number one. Um, Apple and Samsung are two and three. Uh, and then four and five are, are Oppo and Vivo. So I mean, Chinese companies are three out of five. Um, three out of three out of five mm-hmm. um, in, in India, which is... I mean, which is amazing, and I think that it kind of it, it, the the explanation I think is is pretty obvious. I mean, the India market is in some senses uh, similar to to the China to the China market, um, in particular um, price price sensitivity, and all of these companies they're able to offer um, a premium. Well, in the case of Xiaomi, they're able to offer a premium product at, at non-premium prices. Um, Oppo and Vivo, I have to admit, I'm not too familiar with, with their products, but they, they do offer lower, lower end um, devices, which is perfect for, for the India market. Um, and, and all three of them, uh, including Huawei as well, are, are moving into Southeast Asia too, uh, with, uh, with very, very successfully. Um, but the thing is, I mean, it's not just like these 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 big players. It's also um, a lot of venture capital and a lot of startups are beginning to look more at uh, at Southeast Asia as an area of of growth. And so again, I think that 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 really what we see in China right now domestically is that things are slowing down. Uh, the economy is just not growing as fast. 
um, the the big players have kind of staked out their territory, and if you want to, if you want to scale, you're probably going to have to um, to partner with them to a, to a certain degree, give up give up certain um, certain rights of your in, or or equity in your company in order to have them as a strategic partner, um, and and that's that's really how you're going to succeed in China. Whereas in Southeast Asia, there's still that opportunity. To, to really kind of make your mark, um, to, to get in there. Um, but then also, you know, just, just the number of opportunities in Southeast Asia as their economies uh, develop more and more is, is continuing to increase. And so, I mean, I think that we, we're, we can see a lot, we're going to see a lot more um, Chinese companies, a lot more Chinese money going to Southeast Asia, uh, but then uh, a lot more um, interaction in general with Southeast Asia. And so maybe even Southeast Asia companies coming to China. Uh, and of course, we can't forget um, musically and uh, Meitu Shushu, uh, who both smashed it in the States, right? Uh, I think that's a trend we haven't seen before um, up until this year, where uh, for musically, they're based in Shanghai and uh, they built the app there and it's done. Nobody really uses it in China, um, but it's done incredibly well um, in, in America. And uh, and but Meitu is is a little bit different. They're also very very popular in China, but um, their their app also um, at one stage garnered a lot of attention um, for their features, their beautifying facial features, and uh, and they also got criticised right a bit for like making everyone white and and. Uh, <laughs> you know. But in China, in China, that's a well. That's good that's thing, the right? thing. I think it's it's it's, uh, it's uh, yet another example of kind of you know being in a Western bubble and um, interpreting everything from from that point of view. It's like, hey, they're making us white. That must mean that black people are. It thinks that black people are bad. It's like, well, no, that's just a cultural thing. They don't like dark skin. Um, but I think I think made made to is a is a really interesting um, a product of of a cultural idiosyncrasy. Um, and you, there was a, a really good uh, New Yorker piece recently um, interviewing people from from yeah. May Two and from uh, May Pie, um, looking at looking at you know why is it that that this has become such a such a phenomenon in China, um, and I think at one point the CEO even said, well, you know. It's 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 rude not to uh, beautify your friends. It's rude not to make them make them look better. Um, wouldn't you want your friends to to make you look better too? Um, and I think it's, it was really interesting to see the reaction in some of my WeChat groups um, to that, and just kind of how Western culture is dealing with some of these trends that are coming um, out of China. Um, and of course, I think that that there is this um, fixation on on authenticity. In the West, that 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 things should be sincere, that people should be representing themselves as their true self, not as you know their ideal self, and, and all these things. Um, but at the same time, you look at Instagram, you look at Snapchat, you look at you look at Facebook, and those are all ideal selves being being represented, not not authentic ones. Yeah, maybe less Snapchat. I think Snapchat's pretty authentic, but uh, certainly Facebook and, and Instagram, especially, yeah. Um, you're right. Uh, is so. Um, that is a great article as well. That New Yorker one. We should definitely link to that one. A uh, bit of a long one, but uh, just a, a really deep dive into a, a quite amazing um, part of Chinese society that um, we don't really experience. Um, I feel very far away from <laughs> the people being described. But anyhow, um, yeah, that's that, that's a trend. I mean. 
I think it's, uh, yeah, we'll see more of that, right? We're definitely going to, 2018, I expect there'll be one or two more breakouts from China at least um, that will, that will you know, make it in, 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 in the States and in Europe and places like that. Um, and we might even see more than two. We might, might see several because this, the, as we alluded to earlier, the, the sort of tides have changed. Uh, I think a lot of people have said this right now. It's not, um, it's, it's moving the innovations happening in China and then, then it's going outside. So, um, yeah, I would fully expect there to be, uh, another couple of Chinese, uh, homegrown apps or app categories or just phenom- uh, app economy phenomena that come out of China next year. Yeah, yeah, I totally, I totally agree. Um, and I think, I think that really the the my my for my prediction is in, is is a bit more focused uh, gl- regionally. I would say looking at. Uh, Looking at Southeast Asia, um, we're going to see a lot more activity, um, as I mentioned, not just from the big players, but also from um, the smaller players. So time to move on. Uh, and number three, we have cryptocurrencies. So looking, we're looking at ICOs and, and Bitcoin. I mean, I think that this was, you know, a, a global phenomenon. This is uh, very different from bike sharing in the se- or mobile payments, in the sense that um, ch- what we see, what we saw in China, was really a microcosm of what was happening uh, around the rest of the world, where um, people were were buying more and more into cryptocurrency. Um, even now, um, with uh, Bitcoin exchanges banned in China, we can see that there's still so much activity. Um, with cryptocurrencies and with Bitcoin, it almost broke twenty thousand USD uh, in a, a few days ago. Uh, it dropped down to below seventeen seventeen thousand. But you look at that growth, and it's absolutely it's 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 f- f- phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And so you look at um, so so where does China come into play with all this, right? So um, with Bitcoin in particular, most of the mining is coming from China. Um, the, the majority of Bitcoins that are created are created in China. Um, the, a lot of the speculation around Bitcoin, um, at least in the beginning, uh, was um, a lot of it was coming out of China. And a lot of speculation in general when it comes to cryptocurrencies was, was coming out of China. Even still, you can see that cryptocurrency exchanges, um, basically, they just kind of moved to Japan and, and South Korea. Um, so mm-hmm. fairly, still fairly close. Um, I have it on good authority that it's still possible to buy crypto with RMB. So it seems that there are oh, some, it's possible. Yeah, so there, so there, so there, <laughs> there, there are still leaks in in you know government regulation in terms of they've shut them down. They've shut down domestic operations, but RMB is still being used to buy crypto. Um, and then of course you know the ICOs. I mean like the number of you know BS IPO, uh, ICOs that came out of out of China really was phenomenal. Um, there were I think quite a few legitimate ones, um, but at the same time you know with ICOs with an alternative way of financing a company, you know it's just asking for trouble. Um, and there was even there was even one coin. I'm not sure how serious they were, but it was basically the grass mud horse coin. And and if you're familiar with this, this is this is internet Chinese internet slang. That uh, that became popular back, um, I would uh, a while ago, um, by 2012, 2013, if if, if memory serves. Uh, and so, grass mud horse is a literal translation of of uh, um, which sounds like uh, a very bad word that I, I don't I don't want to say it, but it's it's um basically you go go do something to your mother. 
Um, so, so I think that, you know, looking at the number of, of obviously BS ICOs in China, um, that, that, you know, it's just, it was just, again, it was just a great way for people to take advantage. Yeah, no discussion of 2017 would be complete without mention of cryptocurrencies, in particular Bitcoin. Um, yeah, and we've covered this uh, with the episode together with Neil, uh, Neil Woodfine, um, who is the organizer. He's been you know, a real expert in the area, really, really deep in it, and uh, organizes the Bitcoin meetup in Beijing for, for many years now. Um, yeah, and uh, as he alluded to um, in that podcast, uh, you know, a lot of the um, hardware, that's I think most of the hardware that's used to mine Bitcoin is produced in China, right? So China's just so um, deeply in, integrated into the whole Bitcoin economy. Um, even though the exchanges are banned, um, you know, there's still a lot of uh, a lot of the Bitcoin in the world is owned in from by Chinese people. I imagine we don't know how much, but uh, but in other ways, they you know they're, they're heavily still involved, uh, even with the government forbidding it. Um, and I, I expect there'll there'll be more developments in 2018. Uh, certainly, as you just said, John, the price is absolutely crazy right now. Um, everyone's kind of divided a lot of people saying it's uh, it's a bubble kind of hard to think it's not a bubble i guess um uh, given, given if you just you know google it and look at the, the the chart it's 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 beyond exponential it's it's kind of just like a flat line up almost <laughs> in the last couple right. of weeks yeah it's crazy um, yeah so I, I i personally i think there will be a correction but Having said that, I also do believe that something fundamental. We we have crossed a boundary with Bitcoin, mm. and um, it ha- it will be around for many years. It's not going away, um, and the long term prospects for it as a store of value, um, I think, are are pretty good. Yeah, I think I, it is virtual gold. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I think that's that that's really the key. I mean that 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 Bitcoin has become. You know, like the first. Well, I mean, that's not okay. Anyway, um, it, it it's 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 the first widely adopted, um, the first widely adopted digital commodity, uh, because of course there are you know uh, lots of digital purchases that you can make. In particular, um, in in video games, you know you can buy certain outfits and weapons and and you know in game currency and things like that. Um, but Bitcoin, you know, number one, it's decentralized, and so no one really controls it. Um, which is the miners do to a certain degree, as we saw with uh, Bitcoin Cash and with uh, with Segwit, the failed the failed Segwit fork. That that really this was a group of miners saying, you know what, we're going to start creating a different type of of Bitcoin, um, and and so there is there is this. Um, this possibility of centralization in terms of who is processing the bitcoins, who is processing the transactions, and then creating more more bitcoin. Um, but I completely agree; it's something that's definitely here to stay. Uh, whether or not it's going to become something more than a store of value, more than uh, a medium of exchange, I think is um, is very questionable. I don't under I don't see myself how it would be possible. For it to become something more than that. Um, that that being said, I mean the power of a decentralized uh, currency or a decentralized commodity, I think is um, 
is is the potential is is very very. Uh, there's a lot of. I'm not even saying things correctly. Um, the potential is is absolutely amazing for for what can be done. Um, but I think that 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 for for myself and what kind of what I'm looking at, um, blockchain in and of itself and the the applications thereof that can be created with blockchain technology um, are absolutely um, astounding. You know, we talked with uh, we talked with Neil. Um, we also talked with uh, Ling Kong from Dianrong about about blockchain. Super super interesting stuff. And so Neil's a bit um, he. he, he I'm trying, I'm trying to think of a good way to say this. He, Neil, Neil's very hardcore about about Bitcoin, and I think for for him, it's a bit difficult to see the value of of other blockchains, and in particular ICOs, because I think again, you know, I think he's right to a certain degree that most of the ICOs that we're seeing um, are a bunch of BS. I think that there are some ICOs that we have seen that um, that will prove to be viable solutions, um, and you, you look at the the actual. Uh, process of the of the ICO. I'm thinking mostly of Filecoin because Filecoin, they wanted to do an ICO. They were going to do an ICO, and like the day before, they said, "Okay, wait a second. Actually, guys, hang on. We're we're going to make sure that everything is okay with the SEC. We're going to make sure that we're following um, proper uh, following proper regulations for fundraising in in the United States." And so I think that the fact that they would do that um, says that they are very serious about about their product. Um, Ethereum is a great example as well. Um, you know, they were the second. Um, the Ethereum was the like the second kind of large cryptocurrency um, after um, after Bitcoin. The number of developers that are looking at Ethereum and trying to build applications on top of it, I think, just just proves that it is um, that it is a legitimate um, it is a legitimate cryptocurrency, a legitimate uh, crypto ecosystem, if you will. Um, there's still a lot of challenges, um, in particular with Ethereum. It's, it, it, it cannot scale. Um, recently, Kik, who did an ICO earlier this year uh, for their kin, um, so basically creating an internal economy on their on their messaging platform. They were using Ethereum, but now they're planning on moving to to Stellar, which is a different which is a different crypto platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, so I mean, it's 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 very very clear that Bitcoin, all the uh, cryptocurrency as as a group, um, is here to stay. Blockchain as a group is here to stay. It's just really going to be, you know, what applications are we going to be seeing, um, and and how many companies are actually going to fulfill their their promises during during the ICO. I mean, it's like it's like Kickstarter, you know, Kickstarter. You you go on there, you make all these promises, you you get a bunch of money. And then maybe nothing happens. So, you know, I think that's that's exactly what we're seeing with ICOs. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, um, it's it's also a candidate for trend of the year. Maybe not China trend of the year, but tech trend of the year. Uh, I think it's got a definitely a strong case, right? I mean, it's, it's a breakout year for cryptocurrencies, uh, without a doubt. And that about does it for the first part of our year-end review of uh, what's happened here in China. Make sure that you stay tuned. Uh, Next week, we will be releasing the second part. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes, or if you're on Pocket Casts or on Overcast, you can press that star button. It will recommend us to your network. (music) 